TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Way back and gone. Touch them all. It's Touch Them All. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying Touch Them All. That's right, it's Touch Em All, Twins Talk and MLB Talk for the next hour here on Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. I'm Rami Makloff. I got Manny Hill on the other side of the glass here in the TCL Broadcast Studios and live from Fort Myers, Florida, the site of Twin Spring Training. Brought to you by Shane Company, your friend in the diamond business, is our Twins reporter, Derek Wetmore. Find his work at scorenorth.com. Derek, how are you this afternoon, my friend? I'm great. Rami, how are you? I'm good. I understand that there is actually baseball that will be taking place as we hold this show here today. There's real baseball happening, and I'm sitting in the sort of makeshift studio, I'll call it, at Hammond Stadium. Unfortunately, I had to drop the window because the stadium noise is going to be too loud to do the show. So I can't give you play-by-play. I can hear it, and I can I can feel it in the air. Can Do you feel it, Manny, even though we're not there? Oh, do yes. you feel it? It's like we're in the park with Wetmore. Yes, it's it warm, does. the sun is out, and it smells like popcorn and bratwurst. Oh. Mm. Is it kettle corn, or is it just regular old popcorn? Doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter. We're not going to upset any future fine no, sponsors of the to program, me. Rami. Rami, Rami, we're just gonna we're gonna roll with it. I don't think I is, like but. all kinds of popcorn. Yes. I'm just saying, at the ballpark, the the smell that gets me, and it's weird because these aren't necessarily the smells that you associate with the ballpark. One is kettle corn, and because I can't make that in my house, they have mm-hmm. microwave kettle corn, and it burns. Not the same. It it's burns not the same. every time because of the sugar in that bag, or maybe my microwave is just weird. Um, but the other one is. Uh, like the 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 sugar roasted like almonds and cashews sure, yep. and stuff. Pecans, oh yep. my god, you can now, smell I'm allergic that. to those, so I can't have those. Oh, so yeah. I can't even I can't even speak. I'm sorry, I man. I can't speak to that. I'm but, sorry but, about that. I feel yeah, for you, man. I, I feel yeah. for you. But those it's rough. Those honey roasted nuts. They 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 the smell will carry all the way down like an entire baseline through an entire through a stadium. Yeah. And no, it's I think like, they, I'm on the west coast of the state. I'm pretty sure you could smell that like in Miami right now. Oh man. Oh man. That's the one thing. I'm getting the sounds and I'm getting the feel. I'm not. I'm, if we could somehow get the smells of the ballpark into the studio, Derek. I'd, you know what? It would like I'd be right there with you. I'm putting the smells on my Twins minute today. So check us out on <laughs> at Score North on social media and you'll find that. You know those. Scent diffusers, like I have one that's supposed to help with migraines. Like you can put okay. lavender, or mint, or a- what a- apple in there, what a- orange. If sure. they they should have one that has ballpark smell. <laughs> I, yep. That would be just call it baseball in July. That would be amazing. I would love to. I would. I would. I would buy up a whole crate of those. But Derek, let's uh, let's get into the actual baseball that that yeah. is being played and that has been played over the weekend what are what are some of the highlights from the opening weekend of uh twin spring training out there in fort myers my gosh i have to start with the two young outfielders and i I say young i guess i should stop using that they're both in their mid-20s now but byron buxton was very impressive on in the spring opener i'll call it on saturday night he hit a home run he drove in five runs he just and not to mention the defense which we've already known he just took over a game, and that's one of the things that I think the Twins are looking forward to this year. We knew the defense, we knew the base running, but if that bat comes around and he's really that sort of star player that we saw at the end of 2017, this could be a very promising year for the Twins. So he was the highlight to me on Saturday. Fast forward to Sunday, the Twins go down the road to play the Red Sox at JetBlue, and Max Kepler stole the show. He was leading off. 
Um, he hit two home runs and drew a walk later in the game. That for a, a right fielder who's graded out is pretty good in the corner outfield. If those two guys have a great season, this thing starts to look really, really, really bright for the Twins. So count that, yes, it's just an early weekend, but count the first weekend in the win category for the Twins that two of their guys who they might be counting on quite a bit this year came out with strong showings early on. So in terms of how much stock we put into this, though, Derek, like how much should we put into it? I mean, it's... Because it's yeah. nice, it's nice, it's nice to see them hitting the ball well. It's nice to see Buxton because that's really what we're looking for from him anyway. Improvement with improvement at the plate and Kepler. We're looking for him to sort of take that next step too. But how much stock should we put into this this first weekend, or should we just sort of look at it as okay, that was nice, but we need to see a little bit more? Well, I'm not getting them fitted with hats for their Cooperstown bus <laughs> just yet, Manny. But it's it's. Here's a cliche phrase. You'd rather see the good signs than not. Right, yeah. I think if I'm looking at those two players, one, the Twins just made a pretty sizable bet on Max Kepler. I've talked to a number of people behind the scenes who view Kepler as a better player than what his numbers would indicate the past few years. I think the belief within the Twins is that that breakout is right around the corner, and they're really counting on that to to come out as early as this season. So to extend a guy to a you know, five-year, $35 million deal and tack an option onto the back of that, they are counting on Max Kepler. So two things on him quick, and then we'll get to Buxton, but hitting the two home runs is encouraging, but, I mean, he smoked them. They, yeah. they were pulled right down the right field line out there in the park that sort of resembles Fenway a little bit, um, East Fort Myers. But just the fact that he was able to drive the ball with such authority, I think, is an encouraging thing. And Rocco Baldelli told us after the game that they're going to toy around with the idea of Max Kepler as a leadoff hitter in the regular season, too. So that's kind of interesting. We haven't really seen that before. It might be something that helps unlock Kepler and sort of open the or, or pave the way for that breakout that we're talking about. Uh, with Buxton, I don't think there's any way you can take that but overwhelmingly positive. We'll ignore his uh, double for a quick second and just get to the home run. He falls behind 0-2 in the count with a couple guys on base. And what would we see last year? Eh, not that many plate appearances, but if he got himself into an 0-2 count, it was just over. And this time around, he hung in there. He gets back in the count a little bit, finds a pitch to his liking on a 1-2 count, and just smashes it over the left field wall. I, I don't know. I understand small sample size. We can't say, like, hey, this guy's going to be an all-star this year because he drove in five runs in his first game of spring. Not ready to say that. But it's it's impossible to take anything other than overwhelming encouragement from the fact that he took that count. In, a, in previous years, he might have failed in that situation. On Saturday, he came through with an exclamation mark. So for both of those guys, I view it as a really, really great start to the season. And and you mentioned with that they're going to toy around with uh, Kepler hitting in the leadoff spot, and that leads me to my next question of how do do you anticipate them sort of tweaking the lineup and and just trying a bunch of different lineups the, the first month? I mean, obviously you have spring in the next you know month and a half with spring and everything, but as we get to the regular season, do you get the sense that we're going to see Rocco Baldelli sort of toy around with a couple of different lineup combinations just to see which one can really be the most productive? Yeah, I do. I don't think they're going to settle into one. Um, 
maybe eventually that's the goal. But I think especially early on, you're going to watch them play matchups. Mm-hmm. They got a lefty on the mound. It might be somebody different. They got a righty on the mound. Well, they'll pick whether it's uh, Max Kepler or Jorge Polanco, I think would make sense up there. A number of guys that they might consider. Ultimately, Manny, the, the teams that have the set lineup, it's because you've got like nine all-stars and you're just happy to say, okay, well, this guy needs a day off, so fine, we'll plug somebody else in. But the Astros pretty much know what their lineup is. I don't think the Twins are at that spot yet. There's still guys that need to earn that keep. But I'm kind of toying around with a piece today on like Marwin Gonzalez and lengthening the lineup. And you start to look up and down. This, despite the lack of a true superstar offensively, this might be a sneaky good mm-hmm. American League lineup. Yeah. You add Nelson Cruz right into the middle, hit three or four. It's If you get the season that you might be expecting from a Miguel Sano or from a Byron Buxton, Eddie Rosario, this starts to look like a pretty deep and dangerous lineup. But that, to answer your question, I don't think they're going to settle on to just one. I think they're going to play matchups, and it's going to evolve as the season goes on. Yeah, I was just going to say, not only should, should you – expect him to toy around with the lineup early on in the season, Derek, but knowing Rocco Baldelli and and where he came from and and just looking at the trend around Major League Baseball, I would say you should get used to to seeing different lineups throughout the season. I wouldn't be surprised if, and this is even if things are going well and this is a team that's in contention for something, if we get to late July, early August, or, or even September and we go, well, never seen this lineup before. Yeah, I wouldn't be too shocked. You look at the components that make it up, and that makes it possible. Marwin Gonzalez, switch hitter. Jorge Polanco, switch hitter. Max Kepler quietly got better against lefties last year, so he wasn't such a liability. That, uh, I just, I know that this is the time of year that you can just be eternally optimistic about every single player and say, he's going to reach his 99th percentile. But even without that sort of pie-in-the-sky dreaming for the Twins, I think you can reasonably see a good lineup that's going to score a lot of runs. And and to your point, Rami, it's not going to look the same every single night. One of the calling cards of this Twins team, if it goes well for them, is going to be the home run power. This team has pop in basically every spot on the diamond. I'm a little concerned about their ability to get on base, but the name of the game is scoring runs and preventing runs. I think both defensively and offensively, they're going to be able to do that in a lot of different ways with the flexibility they have. And Marwin Gonzalez is really just kind of the the embodiment of that. He's the exclamation point to their flexible roster. Yeah, you brought up Marwin Gonzalez uh, a few times. And Derek Wetmore, our Twins reporter, is live from uh, Twin Spring Training in Fort Myers, Florida, brought to you by Shane Company, your friend in the diamond business. He was introduced over the weekend, and I understand that we are not to call him Utility Man. Is, is, that, is that a request that was made? We are not to call Marwin Gonzalez Utility Man. But to be clear, the request was not made by Marwin Gonzalez. Right. It was his manager, Rocco right. Baldelli. Yeah, it was kind of funny. Um, uh, a reporter asked, hey, Marwin, uh, a couple other teams had been interested in you. What uh, What was their role for you do they want you to be a utility player as well and he kind of laughed and he said well you'd have to ask my agent his agent is scott boris i have a feeling scott's not gonna tell you but the uh, rocco baldelli chimed in and said hey can i just make a quick correction he's not a utility man we kind of all just oh okay sort of nervous laughter actually i threw this in a podcast i just posted a bonus touch them all you guys so Ooh, if there nice. there are listeners once you're done listening to this wonderful live program you can go check out the touch them all feed where i have some highlights from the press conference and i included this because it kind of just made me laugh <laughs> like rocco said he's not a utility player 
he's a multi-positional everyday player or, or something along those lines. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, like, what's the difference? That, isn't that you could call him a super utility player? That's fine because he, he'll play everywhere. He's first base, third base, middle of the infield, either corner outfield spot. I mean, this guy can just about play anywhere you need him to. That's a utility guy to me. And I think Rocco wanted to make the distinction that, no, we view this as a starting player. He just happens to be good in multiple different defensive spots. So the Twins are really going to bend over backwards to find pretty regular, if not constant, playing time for Marwin Gonzalez just going to come in in different spots. So a little bit of semantics, if you ask me. But I think around the game, the term utility player maybe is a little derogatory. That Oh, you're a backup and you're on the team because you've got three gloves. But that's not the case with Marwin. It's, he's got a bunch of gloves, but this guy can also hit, too. I, I see no stigma attached to the term utility player. I think it's a compliment. I like it. And and I say we just change what it means rather than trying yes. to stay away from the phrase. I've, that's I've always, right. And... and I've always loved utility players and the way that they're used in today's game. I think it's I think it's a compliment to call a guy a utility player. But talking about Marwin Gonzalez and, and some of the versatility, not just that he brings, but that he gives you with the lineup. You've alluded to it a couple of times on the show already today, Derek. And just before the weekend, when, when the Marwin Gonzalez signing was made, Bernie Pleskoff, who's a, a, a very well-respected uh, baseball man, he uh, spent some time in the, in the Astros and the Mariners front office as a scout. Now he's at clubhousecorner.com. Uh, one of my listeners from back in Milwaukee pointed me to this tweet from Bernie, Derek, and he says, uh, in my opinion, the last viable player that could have helped the Indians' offense has signed with the division rival. Marwin Gonzalez, a versatile guy with a nice bat, has signed a two-year deal with the Twins. I also think the Twins will be awesome this season. I said I wouldn't go as far as awesome. I see the potential for pretty good, but Bernie is a whole lot smarter than me. <laughs> to which Bernie responded, Cruz, Sano, Polanco, Rosario, Kepler, Marwin, Crone. That's quite a bit of offense, and I think Barrios will have Barrios, excuse me, will have a great season on the mound. Are they short on pitching? Yes, but their lineup is very scary, in my opinion. It the the lineup. I mean, when you look at the, all those names on paper, on paper, Derek. It, it looks like it has the potential to be, as he put it, very scary. But also, and something I, I didn't really consider when the news first came down, and we didn't talk about it when the news came down last week, you kept Marwin Gonzalez from your primary com- competition in this division with the Cleveland Indians. To me, that makes the signing a, a twofold, a, a, a very good and, and very smart decision by the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, no, Ted. I think there is one player that could still help the Indians, though. I mean, Bryce Harper added it to that outfit. Yeah, that, I think uh, he would help. But I that uh, might look pretty good. Unless they're the mystery team. <laughs> right. One of the eight mystery oh, teams that's been in love, on Bryce Harper. Then gosh, we love mystery teams. <laughs> we love them so much. I cheer we're so hard for mystery team. Yes. I have a jersey, actually, in my closet, mystery team. Um, to me, like, okay, Bryce Harper's not going to Cleveland. It's a bit of a joke. But I still look at. And I'm not ignoring your question. We can talk lineup. Mm-hmm. Cleveland is still head and shoulders better than the Twins, in my opinion. I think we can we can look at this, and whether it's rose-colored glasses or not, I agree with the sentiment that this Twins offense has the potential to be great. Um, downside is is still like good. I still think that they're in at least the middle class, if not the upper middle class of the American League. Even if uh, like Buxton doesn't work or like Kepler doesn't have that breakout, you still got some 
awesome hitters in this line. Nelson Cruz is an awesome hitter. Um, Eddie Rosario had a great year last year. Jonathan Scope, by all accounts I've heard down here, the Twins are really banking on a big bounce back from him. So I, I understand the sentiment. I do think they're going to be able to score a lot of runs. You got a little bit of question from the outside about the pitching, and you wonder if that's going to be enough. And I still look, yeah, just like I said, the Indians as a contender for a World Series, whereas the Twins are sort of hopeful of making that next step and, and getting back to the postseason. With the pitching staff, is it more is the concern more with the rotation or the bullpen, do you think? Right now, probably bullpen. I just don't I, I mean they could project that some of these guys are gonna take a step forward and, and that's great. And maybe they will, and maybe they'll have a great bullpen that they sort of built, but there's a big question mark, I think, over a lot of those guys. So the rotation, you probably feel good about the at least the first three or four arms. Uh, Barreos, Kyle Gibson, Jake Odorizzi, and even Michael Pineda coming off the injury. Uh, after that, I know the Twins are confident Martin Perez is going to pitch well, but the point is that you feel like you have the bodies in the rotation, whereas in the bullpen, even somebody like uh, Fernando Romero, who I think and you guys think is going to be a very good major league player, there's still, are you sure what you're going to get from him this year? And I'm not sold on that. I think there's just too many question marks overall uh, for the bullpen to, to really be considered a strength at this point. Greg Kimbrell, sign him up, Derek. Sign him up. That's what I'm saying. Sign him he up. He would help. He would help the bullpen. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. I, I was told uh, over the weekend, guys, that he's a pretty good pitcher. Really? I was told that, yes. You don't say. <laughs> Craig Kimbrell? Yeah. <laughs> he's you know good? Really? Just his, his stats page. His stats page told me. To me... I still think it makes all kinds of sense if you're trying to solidify the bullpen and this guy is out there. Now, if he wants like a six-year deal because he thinks he's the greatest closer in history and wants to be paid like it, okay, then I could see the hesitation from the Twins. But if it's short-term and reasonable money, it just seems to me to make all the sense in the world for that guy. There was a very short-lived rumor over the weekend that Kim- Kimbrell, if he, didn't, if he didn't get the type of offer that he was looking for on the market this offseason, that he'd be willing to sit out the year and his agent quickly picked up the phone, called Ken Rosenthal, and dispelled that rumor. So yes. the, he will be playing for somebody this season. We just don't know who yet. That was my uh, write-that-down prediction last Friday, Derek, that the Twins would sign Craig Kimbrell before oh. camp was up. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say that he would sit out the year. I was like, that's no. a bold prediction. No, I'm not stupid. Well, yeah, not well. All, not all the time. Uh, I, do, I, do want to, uh, I do want to get into some lineup talk and, and just who might be at the top of that lineup and if any of it even matters, you're listening to Touch Em All, some Twins talk for you with six feet of snow on the ground out there. I'm Rami. There's Manny. We're in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Derek Wetmore, our Twins reporter. Find his musings on the Twins and all your Twins programming at scorenorth.com or wherever you download podcasts. Just search Score North Twins. He's brought to you by Shane Company, your friend in the diamond business. And Touch Em All is back right after this. Hey everyone, it's Matthew Collar. You can find my new show, Score North Live, every day from 2 to 4 p.m. on the all-new Score North on 1500 and on demand at scorenorth.com. In addition to Vikings talk, we break down the most important and pressing subjects like the responses to Kirk Cousins' tweets. I would like that. And which Fast and the Furious movie is the best. Those types of things. Yeah. It's Score North Live with me, Matthew Collar, available on scorenorth.com and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Score North. Minnesota sports. Anytime, anywhere. Scorenorth.com.
I don't know if it's just that funny, Manny, or if I'm just that easy to make laugh, but hearing me laugh at Judd singing about the wild <laughs> had me cracking up here in and the studio. Is hearing him sing about the wild trading Charlie Coyle specifically <laughs> which they is did what, is what makes it really really right funny. after that stuff like that is why score north on 1500 and score north.com is no, your no, home we just need we just need Eric Stahl to get traded to the Jets today before the deadline it's your home for the most entertaining sports podcast like purple daily purple podcast that fine show Mackie and Judd with Rami score north live with Matthew Collar and baseball programming like Roycey on baseball and touch them all which you're listening to right here right now I'm Rami there's Manny we're in the TCL broadcast studios and uh, Derek Wetmore our twins reporter he's brought to you by Shane Company from Twins Camp in Fort Myers Florida your friend in the diamond business so we talked about it a little bit in the first segment Derek and that is the leadoff spot and you mentioned Max Kepler with the the big day out of the leadoff spot yesterday in a loss to the Red Sox two home runs is he the the leading candidate to be at the top of the lineup or should we should we expect an everyday leadoff man with Rocco Baldelli in his lineup I don't know if they'll have an everyday one. I think the way I think about it anyways is they have two different lineups, and it's probably way more than that, but two different backbones of lineups, and that depends if you're facing a righty or a lefty. I think in the past you'd say, like, okay, one through nine, oh, he's our he's our second hitter because he can handle the bat. But teams are just so much more advanced now with their analytics and their, just their assessment of a whole season's worth of data to say, actually, we should probably have our best hitter hitting second because he's going to come up a lot more than the seventh hitter or whatever. So I can't tell you how many times it, it is just maddening. You'd see uh, a lesser hitter hitting in the top three spots in the order because he could move guys around or he was the speed guy or whatever, and then he'd make the final out of a game. It's like, no, 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 don't you want Mike Trout in that spot? So anyway, are they going to have one leadoff hitter? No, I don't think so. I think they might have one primary leadoff hitter against lefties. They might have another primary leadoff hitter against righties. Uh, you touched on Max Kepler. Jorge Polanco would be another name I'd throw into that mix. I don't know if Eddie Rosario makes sense. Um, if your guy, Williams Astadio, makes the team and he's in the lineup, I want him batting leadoff. What's this uh, if crap, Derek Wetmore? Well, well, Marwin Gonzalez also plays a lot of positions. Uh, I don't think Mar- I don't think uh, Astadio gets cut. I think he will make the opening day 25 man. But my point is just that they lost a couple other on-base guys that I would love to see near the top of the order last year, and that'd be Joe Maurer with the retirement. Robbie Grossman is now on to Oakland. Those were their big on-base guys, and they're going to need a bounce back from some people to have a real on-base threat this year. But I would uh, I would just expect that they're going to pick guys who handle the matchup really well, who get on base at the highest rate possible, and who can yeah be aboard when Nelson Cruz comes to the plate to hit it over the fence. Well, we know if Willie Astadio bats leadoff, we know the first at bat of the game will be quick and he'll put the ball in play, yes. right? <laughs> That's right. I mean, that, that will be the, at least uh, the, the, the well, silver lining of it. he throws out the old cliche of make the pitcher work and see a lot of pitches. He's like, no, nope, two's good. I'm good with two. Give me a pitch gonna put to the hit. ball in play. Yeah, he did it again over the weekend. Uh, second pitch, he uh, drove in a sack fly to the outfield. And I was like, man, this guy, we, we kind of joke about it and he's fun, but like his bat-to-ball skills are abs- absurd. To be able to go up there and say, okay, that's Byron Buxton standing on third base. So if I hit it over the shortstop's head anywhere, it's an RBI. Okay, 
second pitch, that's all I need. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to lead off. I don't. He's not going to be an everyday player, in my opinion. But there's a number of guys that are going to be vying for those spots because, to your point, Rami, or to getting at the point of your question, there isn't a guy who's like the runaway favorite slam dunk choice to be that. You need somebody who gets on base, but you're not going to have Nelson Cruz leading off probably. So you got to try to piece together a lineup it's actually probably easier to come up with like two through five, six than it is to figure out who's going to be at the top every day. I understand Byron Buxton strengthened his his case to be somewhere at the top of that lineup uh, as you were sitting there watching the game, Derek Wetmore. Is that right? Yep. Another, uh, I think it was a two-run double because C.J. Crone got thrown out the plate, but uh, he just continues to smoke the ball. That was just before I closed the screen, um, and I actually sent that to our social media brand manager, Seth, and we might have that posted. I, I saw see that. It now. That's, yep. how, that's how I found out. There you go. All right. The Score North Twitter account has that video right now of me sitting uh, in the press box with my <laughs> cell phone taking it, and, and then I had to close the window to talk to you fine folks. But I don't – look, if Buxton breaks out, that's awesome for the Twins. I just don't know that you can bank on him being a good enough on-base guy to want to hit him first. But, hey, I, he's he's shown the ability to be an awesome offensive player in the past, so maybe he does develop that really quickly, and he'd be the fastest leadoff hitter in the majors, that's for sure. Are you guys, Manny, Derek, both, I guess a question for both of you, are you like me in that you you don't really care what the batting order is to, to a certain extent? and. Analytics says there are people in analytics, Derek, who who will try to make the case that a lineup really doesn't matter at all. That you could literally take the the nine names, put them in a hat, pull them out, and you'd have the same results as you would if if you sat and really invested some time into putting in a lineup. I'm not there. I do think that lineup construction matters, but I've I've evolved in terms of the way I I watch and and think about the game, and that I. The 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 labels or the the molds that that you wanted people to to fit into to be a leadoff hitter and a two hitter. We had very defined ideas of what guys in those in those spots did, and I, I think Derek that we've we've learned through analytics and and through trial and error really that you don't really need a leadoff guy to be what we've thought of a leadoff guy all these years. You don't need a two-hitter, a three-hitter, all the way down the lineup. They don't have to be the what we've thought them to be in the classic sense over, over the years that we've watched the game. Do yeah. they? Well, I guess I'm not quite fully off of the lineups matter. I mean, they. I think they matter a little bit. I'm, I'm not Rami Makhlouf, lineup nihilist, um, but, I, but I'm with you. I, I, I think you walked that back a little bit, and I think we're on the exact same page here, that my philosophy is not you need to have a four-hitter. You need to have a five-hitter. Oh, Max Kepler seems like he'd be really good in the five spot. My philosophy is good hitters hit early in the count, bad hitters hit uh, right in the lineup, they right. sit. They hit down because I don't want, for example, and no, this is no disrespect. He brings other things to the team than his bat. But Jason Castro should hit ninth when he plays. I mean, if Byron Buxton is anything at all this year offensively, you should have that catcher spot not coming up as often as possible. That's that's just optimal. So I view it as like. We, I've gotten in fights over the years about this, of this guy should be a three-hitter, or no, Joe Maurer's not a two-hitter, he's a this, so he can't lead off, he's never done it before. I am, no. Top of the lineup, high on base percentage, the rest of it, rank them by whatever offensive stat you trust the most. For me, it's weighted on base average, and I would just say good hitters at the top, 
The rest of the guys kind of just fill it out and you give them at-bats because you have to. Yeah, because that's basically what you want, right? You want your best hitters to come to the plate as often as possible. And the best way to have your best hitters come into the plate as often as possible, meaning that they're most likely going to be hitting in the ninth inning when you need them to, is to put them at the top, right? And regardless Mm -hmm. of if a guy is fast and you know he's going to be the table setter because he's the speeds he's the speedster right. so we got to put him at the top yeah i agree with that not to derail the segment here rami but uh-huh. i actually have a question for the room yeah go for it somebody posed this to me on i think it was on my facebook page Derek wetmore mlb cheap plug um facebook.com <laughs> 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 i'm just messing around Very somebody well asked the question like okay so manny in the nba you can put the ball in lebron's hands in the final eight seconds of a game mm-hmm. uh, you run an inbounds play for lebron or he's the decoy whatever you can get your best players the ball in the important moments when it matters with the the win on the line baseball you can't do that right you can you can pick your clothes or that's fine, but I can't say if I'm the Astros, I can't be like, okay, we got to get on base. Jose Altuve, you're up. It's like, no, he hit last inning. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Would you be in favor of a situation in which baseball is like, okay, we got to be more entertaining. This late game stuff that happens in the NBA, in the NFL, that's fun. We need more of that. Ninth inning and ninth inning only, you're allowed to pick as a manager which hitters go up. And you can pick any order you want. The batting order doesn't matter. Would you guys throw that rule out and just kind of have some fun with it? Even a trial balloon in spring training. I I was conflicted about this. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. So I kind of want to know what you guys have to say. I am, in in some senses, a purist. I just talked about how I've evolved in the way I, I watch and think about the game. In some ways, I have. In, in other ways, I haven't. And a lot of the rule changes... That they try to pass, Derek, I look at it and I go, that just, that it, it ceases to be the game that I, I grew up loving and, and recognize. Um, that's one that I think goes a little bit too far. If, if you wanted to try it in extra innings, okay, I'd be open to that. But in, in during the course of regulation and, and the first nine innings, no, I feel like I feel like you're changing too much by giving teams the option of who they want to throw out there. Just for just for the ninth inning, if you want to do it starting in the tenth, and you get to pick three guys, and then you, those three guys wouldn't be available until you went through the rest of your order, and you could sort of jumble it up that way in extra innings, just to try and end the thing a little bit quicker and speed things up a little bit. Okay, but I I don't like it in the ninth inning. How do you feel about it, Manny? Uh oh boy. Yeah, it's it's probably going a little bit far. I will say this though. I think I think there could I would be open to if you take a good hitter out of a game and replay and put in like a defensive replacement for him. I would be open to the idea of letting that guy come back in to hit one time if you want him to in like an extra inning type of situation. Huh. Okay. So like if you're the I mean to use the to use like Jose Altuve for an example. Now the the Astros wouldn't pull him out for a defensive replacement or anything like that. But let's say they do pull him out in in the 8th inning for a guy to come in and play second base who's better with the glove or whatever even though realistically you're not going to find too many people better than him with with the glove. Um but he's out of the game, but if you get to like the 12th inning and you want to bring him back in to pinch hit once in like the bottom of the 12th or something like that for his bat, 
I'd be open to something like that. But I don't, I don't, I would not, I don't think I would want to do something like being able to sort of manipulate the order of the lineup, though, to get your best guys, to get your best guys hitting in a, in a specific situation. How do I got you got really, yeah, I just got really stuck on this. Because my first reaction was exactly what Rami said. My gut was like, <laughs> you can't change baseball fundamentally. But right. then I'm thinking, why not? Like they added a three-point line in basketball. Why can't you change it? <laughs> That's true. In That's the name of entertainment, I mean, as I'm a baseball guy, but I start all of these arguments by saying, Rob Banford doesn't have to worry about whether I'm going to like baseball or not. If he is, he can call my cell and I'll tell him how to fix it. But he's not worried about people who already like baseball, or he shouldn't be. What he should be worried about is not – not to anger or alienate that crowd, but you've got to wrap your arms around the casual baseball fan or the people who currently are not fans of the game. Yeah. That's the only way it's going to grow. So I think I have to be open to some of these radical ideas, such as hand-picking an order in the ninth inning to ensure that you're getting, look, at the Twins are down by a run against the Indians in September. You want to be able to say... Okay, well, Nelson Cruz has to hit this inning. You just, or if it's going great for him, Miguel Sano has to hit this inning. I don't know that. I don't know that I can just immediately close my mind to it. But then my 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 knee jerk, like I said, is like, nah, no, that's that that's too big of a change. So you know what? I never came down with an answer. I just kept getting stuck going in circles. Torn on it, Derek, yeah. since, since you brought this up, and we have we have one segment left in the show, you talk about. Getting people in the fold who aren't baseball fans right now, and 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 the demographic that Rob Manfred is fixated on, and and, and rightly so. Every every professional sports league is fixated on the younger audience, and how do we get them to watch and stay engaged with our sport? That's and that's what all these potential rules changes are are sort of gearing towards or or catering to. But there are certain things in this game that you really can't change that, that slow it down in terms of that pace of play and, and length of games. And, and there is a statistic that I wanted to throw at you. It, it came up last week, and I kept meaning to bring it up on the show, but with the opening of, of spring training and everything, we obviously had a lot on our plates. But there is a statistic that 538 dug up last week about what really holds up the pace of play and the length of games that I want to run by you and talk about how, if if at all, we can change that. So I wanted to do that next if we got a few minutes. You're listening to Touch Em All. It's on Score North on 1500scorenorth.com. If you want to get in on the conversation, 651-646-8255. I'm Rami Makloff with Manny Hill back in our TCL broadcast studios. Derek Wetmore, our Twins reporter, brought to you by Shane Company, live from Twin Spring Training. Your friend in the diamond business, and we're all back right after this. You're listening to the all-new Score North, Minnesota sports. Anytime, anywhere, scorenorth.com. Touch them all on Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. I'm Rami Makloff along with Manny Hill back in our TCL broadcast studios. Derek Wetmore, our Twins reporter, brought to you by Shane Company, live from Twins Spring Training in Fort Myers, Florida. They're your friends in the diamond business. I mentioned before the break, Derek, that uh, I have a statistic that points to 
one of the problems in in pace of play and length of games, and and I don't know if there's any solution to it. We'll talk about that in just one second, but one more point to touch on with the Minnesota Twins and the addition of Marwin Gonzalez made official over the weekend. That's one more guy added to the mix that is, he's assured a roster spot. I mean, his track record and his contract dictate that. So that begs the question then, who is at risk of, of losing their roster spot to Marwin Gonzalez as as spring training plays out here? Yeah, it's it's tough to read right now, but think about what Marwin can do, and then you think about who the Twins had to do that before. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's like he's going to play just about every day, it sounds like, and that's, I think, mostly infield because the Twins are going to try to give as many plate appearances as they can to their three outfielders. Right. Max Kepler, Eddie Rosario, and Byron Buxton. So it's like he he's almost he's a backup outfielder who plays in the infield. And last year, that's a guy, that role sort of went to A. Ray Adrianza. I, I don't know if this is a one-for-one swap, but you could do one of two things here. You can either take a bigger bench and fewer pitchers. They'll do that early in April. How long that sticks around, I guess we'll see. But you could also just say, okay, well, Marwin's our fourth outfielder. We don't need a fourth outfielder on this roster. So I, I like Jake Cave. I think Jake's a good player, and I think he had a good 2018. He was one of their promising things in a terrible season. But I don't know if you need a fourth outfielder with this roster. So if it if it comes down to a numbers crunch, Jake Cave could be a guy who's looking over his shoulder uh, and maybe starting in Rochester. A. Ray Adrianza, who's out of options, would uh, that would be interesting because you'd basically have to agree to lose him for nothing or be willing to lose him for nothing. I don't know how it's going to shake out, but I think that their their backups situation just got a whole lot stronger by signing this guy, who they view as a starting caliber player. I don't mean to keep going back to this guy for the sake of comedy, but does <laughs> does Williams? <laughs> and so this is a legit question, I guess, yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Does Williams Astadio's minor league options factor into their decision making at all? Because he is a guy who in a sense, does similar things to what Marwin Gonzalez does. He moves around the field. He can be a pinch hitter off the bench. Does Do his minor league options factor factor in at all to their decision-making process here? They will absolutely factor in. The fact that you can keep him is really encouraging if you're the Twins. But for Astadio, his catching ability is probably what does it more for me. Like Marwin, I guess, could put on the gear, but you wouldn't ask him to do that. <laughs> Astadio, then, is the most versatile player that the Twins have. So I could see a scenario in which both of them make the team and the Twins are just super well covered in terms of backups and guys off the bench, and they they are able then to play with or, or pick a whether it's a speed guy or whatever the rest of their roster dictates, they could play around with their bench quite a bit more because of those two guys. Um, but I, I also think that's going to come in really handy when they inevitably go to 13 pitchers, uh, whether that's in the middle of April or late April, whatever. They're going to have five starters at some point, and they're going to have eight relievers. So having both of those guys on the roster does give you a lot more flexibility. I wouldn't say it's as simple as, well, now you got Marwin, Astadio's in trouble. I think he's going to have a real shot to make the team here. So with Astadio... How many, you know, by the time we get to September and and the regular season is over, and I realize we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, already thinking about what's going to happen by the end of the season, but how many at-bats are we looking at Astadio 
potentially getting over the course of a 162 game season then. Yeah. He might if he's on the team for 6 months, he might be one of those 250, 300, 350 kind of guys. I don't see him as an everyday player in the way that they are talking about Marwan Gonzalez, but I think he could have a real impact and a lot of that happens it depends on what happens behind the plate too. I mean, Jason Castro had meniscus, you know, re- was a repair or reconstruction whatever. It's a pretty significant surgery to have for a catcher. I don't know how many games you can you can write in pen for him. I don't know Mitch Garver what his season's going to look like, but Astadio could get into a real working mix there, and that would that would boost his plate appearances, Manny. I, I guess the long answer is just that he's a bench player in my mind, mm-hmm. but he's a valuable bench player to have a good resource. So you're not going to try to hide him or run away from him. He'll get if he's on the team. He'll absolutely get some run. Is there a piece on this coming soon to uh, score north uh, Tom Dare? <laughs> yeah, well, there, he'll be included in a piece about the order, what I think that the lineup could look like now that Marwin Gonzalez is in the fold. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't see Astadio leading off, and I, <laughs> I don't see him with the 600 plate appearances this year. So look for the uh, the lineup column coming soon to scorenorth.com in addition to uh, Derek's thoughts. Five thoughts on the signing of Marwin Gonzalez, his 25-man roster projection, and all your Twins programming. Just pull down the Twins tab at scorenorth.com or search Score North Twins wherever it is that you download podcasts. So in the last segment, Derek, we got a little bit into the uh, – Pace of play and length of games, a struggle that Rob Manfred has been uh, fighting with since he took over as commissioner of Major League Baseball. And in the last five years, we've seen uh, attempts at a pitch clock, targeting pitching changes, intentional walks, mound visits. All these things have been under the microscope in terms of ways that you could speed up and, and shorten a baseball game. But one thing, and I don't, I don't know if there is a rule change that can fix this, and it comes from 538 Sports, is the foul ball. The number of foul balls, listen to these numbers, Derek and Manny. The number of foul balls in Major League Baseball has increased by 11.98% from 1998 when baseball expanded to 30 teams, according to 538 analysis. Uh, there were almost 14,000 more foul balls last season than there were 20, 20 seasons earlier. In 1998, 26.5% of all strikes were foul balls. That shared an increase to a record of 27.9% of strikes in 2017 and 27.8% last season, the top rates since pitch level data was first recorded in 1998. This is where it gets crazy. Overall, there were 26,313 more pitches in baseball in 2018 than in 1998. That's the equivalent of adding 88 games or roughly a week to the schedule. A record 3.9 pitches were thrown per plate appearance in 2017 and 18, according to Baseball Reference, up from 3.73 per plate appearance in 2002 and 3.58 in 1988. About half of the growth in total pitches can be attributed to foul balls, and for the first time since pitch level pitch level data has been recorded, there were more foul balls than balls put in play in 2017, and that trend continued in 2018. If foul balls are what's slowing down the game of baseball, is there a rule that Rob Manfred can can put in play that that would speed things up? Are we going to go to softball rules, Derek, where three foul balls with two strikes and you're out? Yeah, that wasn't good for me. Um, <laughs> man, I mean, it just so it depends on what you're looking to do, right? Like, are you trying to get the games done quicker? Are you trying to expedite the sort of the the time between action on the field? Are you trying to increase run scoring? 
all of that stuff has to play into it. And as I keep hearing rule changes discussed, sort of the, the word I'm hearing behind the scenes is like you've got to pay a lot of attention to not only what you're trying to do, but then put yourself in that headspace of, okay, what would the game look like if we did this? And what are the unintended consequences of that? I think there are a lot of people that are sort of sort of wary of what unintended consequences might be. For foul balls, like I don't know if there is a rule. The softball thing, maybe that would solve it. But you're going to see run scoring do- go down quite a bit, I would right. imagine, because mm-hmm. strikeouts go even further up to their already record levels. And as much as I'm a, I'm a pitching guy, I, I don't know if you and I have talked about this, Rami, but like we're going to watch some baseball games together this summer, and I get made fun of a lot. But my favorite kind of baseball game is a two-to-one pitcher's duel. And I want the starters, I want them to be aces, I want them striking out 13 guys. I you want see, it to just be boom, 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 dominance. I, I like I like a good pitcher's duel, and, and if it has if it has if it's a dominant performance by a pitcher who's just mowing guys down, especially if it's with some some hard heat and he's throwing it in the in the mid to upper nineties and just putting guys down one after the other. Or if it's if it's a pitcher's duel with some serious leather flash, like let's say Byron Buxton yes. has two or three diving catches out in the outfield that preserve a, a no hitter or a one hitter deep into the game. That I find entertaining. When it's just a bunch of guys who, for whatever reason, it's their offense seems off, and it's like ground ball after ground yeah, ball, yeah, yeah. easy p- routine play after routine play. Pop ups and yeah, yeah, pop ups that gets a little boring. But the type of pitchers duels I just talked about—that's that's my kind of baseball, Derek. Well, and so that kind of plays into it of like the the foul balls that you're talking about that are slowing down the game, and that the five thirty eight research was that Travis Sawchick's uh, piece. I, I saw, I saw some research so. posted yeah. online this this uh, weekend, and to me. Yeah, it was, Travis. Yep. I, I, yeah, I guess it's just like it's tough to know what what the goal is if you're baseball because I don't think you can just disincentivize foul balls. Like pitchers, pitchers like foul balls a lot of times. They'll be like, okay, well, that was the ultimate sign of weak contact. Uh, a ground ball is nice, but a foul ball is a 0% chance he gets a hit on it. So is there is there some bonus for getting hitters to – foul it off more so the pitcher starts going for that it gets very messy if you start talking about rule changes to inhibit that but the the number one thing in my mind that you need to fix is that like that pace between action i don't care if there's a ton of strikeouts that doesn't bother me home runs certainly don't bother me this all or nothing slugger doesn't bother me one bit but it's like if if the casual baseball fan is there on a Saturday with a beer and they finish their beer without chugging it before there's any balls put into play, that's that's a problem. And I don't know how baseball is going to counteract that, but for the purists, I think you're okay seeing foul balls. It doesn't bug you, but it, it really does slow the game down to a crawl at times. If you're, if you're able to make just good enough contact to stay alive, drive up the pitch count, see more pitches, survive for another two, three, four pitches, and you multiply that out across a nine-inning game 162 times a year, it can become a real problem. Yeah, not only do I not mind it, Derek, but and and this is one of those places where baseball nerds like you and me, we see the strategy in something where somebody who, who isn't as nerdy about the game is just waiting for something exciting to happen. I love when a good hitter locks a good pitcher 
on a on a two strike count and he's just waiting for his pitch and he's fouling it off and fouling it off and the pitcher isn't giving in. He's not giving the guy his pitch and it can go 10, 12 foul balls and I I'm I'm literally I am I am drawn into that because yes. I'm like okay, who's going to break first? Is it this great pitcher who is not giving this hitter the 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 pitch that he wants or is this hitter going to go and chase something that's that's not in his sweet spot yeah. just to try and put the ball in play? Those. I I love watching that. But but to your point, in that same article from 538, they cite a statistic from Sports Illustrated who reported that last October's World Series saw an average of four minutes and 26 seconds between batted balls put in play, which was 40 seconds longer than the 1998 series. And in the 1998 season, there were 5.05 pitches per ball put in play for a recorded out or hit. Last year, it was 5.73 pitches. Uh, per per pitch that was or pitches before a ball was put in place, yeah. so there is more time in between quote unquote action if you if you don't know what it is that you're watching for not well, not to not to say I'm I'm a smarter baseball fan than most people no, but sure if you got to be entertaining if you're not that guy who's looking for that battle and and twelve foul balls and waiting for yeah. somebody to break then it's four minutes and forty seconds in between actual action and, and you know what the the my my thing has always been. I don't care if I've said this before. If it's a fourteen inning game and it's five hours long, I, I'm okay with that as long as the game is moving along. That's I'm like I don't want fifty seconds of nothing in between pitches. If if, if a guy comes to the plate and he fouls off twelve pitches, so be it. I don't I don't care. I don't mind that. I like to see those sorts of battles as long as it's sort of moving along at a good pace. That's always been my issue. Yeah, pitchers are going to want to... Yeah, they like foul balls because it's a strike. They don't like them with two strikes because it's a wasted pitch. They love swing and miss, and that's what pitchers are really trying to dial up the velocity and miss bats. But boy, you could see it. Like Maybe there's a guy whose specialty is just fouling off pitches 50 times in a row to chase the starter. That's not good baseball. They're going to have to come up with some kind of solution, and it can't just appease the nerds like uh, like us in this room. It's going to have to be something that improves the entertainment quality of Major League Baseball. That's Derek Wetmore. Find his work at scorenorth.com. Covering the Twins from spring training, and look for nice pictures from spring training at Derek Wetmore. That's Call it Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait. What rewards? A dual operator skin. Man, I love operator skins. Dual double XP and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23.